Blog Talk Radio. to this edition of the Weekly Blitz. I'm your host, Joe Lisi. This is part of the Go to the Two Network. We have a great show planned for you today. Today's show is sponsored by Jersey Pump. Are you a gladiator or a spectator? Step into the arena of life at jerseypump.com. Week number one of the college football season is shaping up to be Marquee Saturday. We have some great matchups on tap. We're going to discuss it in today's show. I want to welcome in my co-host. He's a former big play wide receiver at the University of Georgia from 94 to 97. I want to welcome in Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? I'm good, Joe. I guess you can say I'm kind of Jersey pumped up myself. I'm excited about what we've got on the horizon. College football is just around the corner. Uh, For any fan, it's an exciting time, and I'm just like everyone else, wanting to see what my team does, what the conference looks like, and just excited to find out who are going to be the players that step up this year and identify themselves as go-to guys as each team tries to take on the opportunity to win a title. So good time for me. I'm excited. I got a lot. Uh, that I'm really looking at, and you and I get a chance to discuss that today. It's incredible when you think about last year's national championship game getting a 33 million viewership out of uh, fans across the country, the biggest college uh, football game and the biggest cable watch television show in the history of cable TV. So college football is alive. It's strong across the nation. And 2015 is shaping up to be a marquee season, to say the least. But week number one, Corey, especially within the SEC, takes front and center stage. When you look at the matchups that are taking place first week of September, we have some great games such as Arizona State and Texas A&M. We have another marquee matchup with Auburn taking on Louisville, Wisconsin facing Alabama, and then another marquee matchup, North Carolina and South Carolina. We're going to touch in two of those games today, but just incredible week one matchups for the conference as a whole. Any quick thoughts about that? Well, I think the SEC wants to maintain its position as one of the top-tier conferences, and the main way you do that, Joe, is by strengthening your schedule with uh, legitimate out-of-conference opponents, and that's one thing that I think each team knows we we really have to do, especially if we have aspirations of maintaining any high rankings throughout the season. Uh, and, and when you combine that with a title from the SEC, it really looks good on the resume. So it's a chance for the team to step out of the league playing games that really don't impact their conference schedule, but games that matter nonetheless and and games that may have an impact on how they're looked at going into the playoff scenario. Because right now you know you don't have to be top ranked, but you just need to be within that top four. And as long as you make the playoffs, there is an opportunity. Ohio State proved that just last year. So really it's a chance for the teams to uh, find out what they've got, find out who's ready to step up. So I really like the fact that the SEC does – uh, take some of the chances and, and, 
and go outside of the conference to, to find these matchups that are not always easy. Great point, because the SEC overall, we know that the body of work that they've done over the course of the last decade, and a lot of criticism is always given to the SEC's uh, late-season schedule where they, they schedule non-conference foes in the middle of the conference schedule, and a lot of pundits get on the SEC overall. But the one thing you cannot argue, and this is year after year after year on a consistent basis, is that these week one early matchups, the SEC does not shy away. You can look at recent years, LSU taking on Oregon, LSU uh, taking on Wisconsin last year, Alabama taking on West Virginia, Virginia, Georgia taking on Clemson last year. So give the SEC its credit. It doesn't shy away from these early season matchups when it's very difficult to get the rhythm down, timing down of the offense and defense. So that's one thing that the conference as a whole does great. They step up early part of the season, and then they take it off at the end of the season. But a lot of these teams schedule cupcakes first couple of weeks of the season, and then sort of as the season progresses, that's when their schedule gears up. Not so with the SEC over the last four or five years. They've scheduled these great interconference matchups week number one, and that's one thing where I don't think a lot of people give them their credit uh, for scheduling because they are taking on college football's best from around the nation. That's true, Joe. I mean, you're exactly right, and I feel the same way. Taking that chance week one of your season is a much higher risk. Uh, you really haven't had a chance to gel as a unit, but because the SEC understands the schedule, they know what they bring to the table, and the format, you know, the stage that you get when you take that opportunity to be in front of everyone and everyone taking a look at you and your program, it's really a a great bump in recruiting also. So I think it's a great tool. The SEC is smart about how they schedule and I, I necessarily don't have any complaints myself. Me neither. So we take our, we're going to turn our attention to two marquee matchups. We're going to start off with Auburn taking on Louisville uh, on a neutral field site. Some uh, key questions regarding the Auburn Tigers. You look at their program as a whole, a disappointing season last year, losing uh, in the Outback Bowl to the Wisconsin Badgers in overtime. Wisconsin and Barry Alvarez uh, breaking through for a, a, a really marquee victory for that program. They lose Nick Marshall. They lose Cameron Artis-Payne. They lose Sammy Coates on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot has been said about the defensive side of the ball that struggled. Now they get your former teammate, Will Muschamp, former head coach from Florida, comes back to Auburn as defensive coordinator. And I think a lot of optimism surrounding that program because I think that a lot of fans just expect this defense to make an immediate turnaround I'm not so sure about that, but we'll talk about it. Give me your quick thoughts about Auburn's season last year and and what you can expect from this season entering the 2015 campaign. Auburn has always been an enigma, and when I say that, I mean Auburn can show up one season and lose four games and then run the table the next. So the talent is there, Joe. I feel like Auburn is in a strong position because they brought – they brought back some hometown flavor when you consider Will Muschamp. He's been there before. He he was there right after he left uh, school here at Georgia. He's been with Saban when, uh, when he left afterwards. So I, I think because Muschamp not only has been in Auburn, but has been throughout the conference, has had a chance to recruit a lot of these kids, and they understand him and what he brings to the table. Uh, the atmosphere, from what I hear, 
on the plane is, is a very positive one. They feel like that defense is going to make those leaps and strides that we may not expect. And because I know they have the talent, Joe, it's hard for me to discount that. On the offensive side of the ball, uh, Gus Malzahn is going to continue to work his magic. So, you know, regardless of how Nick Marshall and what the season turned out last year, as long as they line up with 11 guys on offense, he'll find a way to put the ball in the end zone, primarily because he's a great offensive mind as a head coach himself. So I feel like Auburn's in a strong position. I don't necessarily look at the year and how it ended in 2014. I don't feel like that's going to carry over into this season very much. Auburn's going to clean the slate every year like they always do, try their best to compete for a title. So it'll be an interesting uh, an interesting watch when we look at this week one matchup. It's funny, Corey, because you look at Auburn as a whole. Gene Chizik in 2010 brought that team a national championship. He's no longer the head coach. Gus Malzahn got the team in his first season to a national championship game against Florida State, could not get it done. And then a lackluster campaign last year. You want to say the pressure's on. Auburn doesn't really wait around. They don't have a lot of patience for uh, a rebuilding, so to speak. So uh, it's going to be very difficult, uh, in my eyes, to turn it around automatically. And I'll tell you why, but uh, I'm just curious to see how the fans uh, react if the season gets off to a slow start because they haven't been known to wait around very long before they make changes as their head coach. I know Gus Malzahn is uh, the media's darling and Auburn's darling, so to speak, but how long will they wait if they have another mediocre season on the planes? I don't think I don't think he's in jeopardy at this point, personally. I feel like because he did come in with a, a lot of strength and his offense is unique and he's really the best one to run the scheme, I feel like he's... Uh, it's a strong point for him because he can always recruit to that offense. You know, he can always find himself in a position where a first-year guy can have success, especially with the way kids are running offense in high school. So he has a lot of opportunities to recruit and be successful on that side of the ball, which is going to put him in a position to win ball games. If you can score in this conference, then you can win ball games. So I don't think he's in jeopardy. I feel like he's got at least another season, and it would have to be another five-loss season for you know, those type of questions to come up in regards to his job security. I think he does a decent job, though. I felt like the team just wore down last year. I think they had some championship fatigue from the year before, and the offseason preparation may not have been the same. So when you bring a guy like Muschamp in to refocus the effort, I don't think Auburn's going to slip because their cupboard's never bare. They've got guys that can step up. So I'm just wondering how it's going to look when they put it on the field because the one thing I know is they're going to play hard every snap. Great point, buddy. I agree with you. I think he does. He's not on the hot seat. I was just curious to get your take about that. Uh, <laughs> they have a great prototypical dropback passer. Uh, all the fans are excited about him. Jeremy Johnson, he's a big kid with a big arm. Going to have to step up now and fill those shoes of Nick Marshall. Maybe not the biggest quarterback, but a guy that really came through in the clutch in my eyes. Not afraid of the pressure. Moved from quarterback at Georgia to quarterback at Auburn and really stepped up and progressed throughout his career on, on the Plains and was a big game quarterback. You talk about Nick Marshall and Cameron Artis Payne, Corey, a, a key statistic that really jumps out about me about those guys were they accounted for 75% of the rushing touchdowns last season 
for the Auburn Tigers. You just don't replace that automatically uh, when you lose two big play big play uh, guys in Nick Marshall and Cameron Artis Payne to to account and make up now seventy five percent of the production. That's a big task. No matter who's filling those shoes, correct? No, you're exactly right. I mean, you're looking at three quarters of the offense, so you have to account for it. It's not going to be found in two guys. They're going to have to spread that out a little bit. Hopefully, you know, or I'm sure they're going to try to appear to be more balanced and not have that pressure on a young signal caller in in Jeremy Johnson. So I feel like Auburn's just going to do their best to try to be – uh, try to use that misdirection, keep you off balance. They've got plenty of talent, like I said, so I don't doubt that they're going to find running backs and wing backs and wide receivers that can take that ball, whether it's uh, on a direct snap or on a pitch or however they design the play. Auburn has athletes. It's just who will have uh, success and who's going to be able to step up because I think he's going to try to spread that 75% out that he's missing when you take away guys like Nick Marshall and Cameron Artis Payne. Definitely a lot of production that they lost. But I think Auburn, again, has enough talent, and they're going to do what they can to spread that responsibility out and not put it all on the shoulders of a new quarterback. It should be interesting to see the the methodology that Gus Malzahn takes from an offensive perspective. And this show, uh, as Corey and I break down the analysis of the show, we're just touching the surface of this game. Obviously, there's position battles to be won in fall camp, but we're breaking down the, the numbers, the strengths and weaknesses of each team from last season, and that's what makes college football so great is that we're talking about it in June. We have more key matchups. We're going to delve into this game in greater detail as the season progresses, as we get closer to September. But I want to throw some key statistics about the Auburn program last year. You look at their five losses. Four of them were the top 25 competition. So they didn't win those games as they made a jump in competition, won the games they were sort of supposed to win, and really struggled down the stretch. They lost three or five games in the month of November, Corey. Something that's very, uh, I want to say, noticeable about this team right now when I look at this game this game entering week number one is in their five losses the team averaged 28.6 points per game but they struggled from a, a terms of ball security in those games they committed 12 turnovers in the in five of those losses you know as well as anybody in order to win big ball games you cannot turn the ball over what does that say to you when you look at Auburn's uh, five losses on the year and to commit 12 turnovers, which is a little over two turnovers per game, what does that signify to you when looking at the program overall? Well, I mean, that's a big concern, and that's always been, you know, a, a key component, you know, in any sport when the possessions are of importance and you turn the ball over, that you're killing yourself and you're, you're inviting in some bad things to happen for your team. So I think that's, that's had to be a focus for Gus Malzahn and his offense because if you score even 28 points a game, Joe, you should have a lot more success in the SEC. So the defense obviously has some holes that need to be filled because Auburn doesn't give up uh, over 28 points and still lose a game. That, that That's very unlike uh, a defense on the plane. So, uh, 
first things first, the defense has some holes to fill, and they've got some things that they need to shore up, and I'm sure that they're addressing those as they go. But on the offensive side of the ball, that's to value the football, to maintain possessions, to convert on third down, because every time you give uh, the other team a short fork by turning the ball over in your own territory or every time you kill yourself going into the end zone and turn the ball over in the red zone, you know, it's really a, usually a 14-point swing. So you you killed your opportunities, and, and even though you put up 28 points, you still find yourself losing ball games. It's primarily got to be due to the turnover. So giving up uh, two a game on the average, if not better, you know, that's a detriment that they've had to address. And that's why I feel like they're not going to put all the pressure on a new quarterback because that's just going to increase if you have a young guy back there uh, with his first time facing these LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State defenses. That's not going to really be a prime position. So I think they're going to have to spread it out. They're going to have to do a lot more running the ball. And I'm sure their focus is going to be on that offensive front, to be honest with you, and making sure that they can establish themselves so that they can dictate the pace later in the game. What's interesting to me, Corey, is when when you look at the the landscape of college football, I think the fans across the country now do not have a lot of patience. They don't really expect growing pains anymore, whether it be from the coaches, whether it be from the players. They expect this plug-and-play mentality where, hey, you know, we lose 75% of the production, but we got Jeremy Johnson now, so, you know, he's a better quarterback. He's just automatically going to come in and put up numbers because he's he's got that ability. It doesn't happen like that. And I think we've we've seen that over the course of the last four or five years throughout the conference. But I think everybody just expects it because you see a team like Alabama where they lose their uh, two-time national champion in A.J. McCarron. He moves on to the NFL, and a quarterback that never started a game like Blake Sims comes in and puts up prolific numbers. But, again, he did have growing pains. It's just when you have talent around him that can pick up the slack – I think that's where people don't recognize it. Auburn last year was a middle-of-the-road team. They, they were an up-and-down team that had some holes defensively, glaring holes that a lot of people don't recognize. And, and that's where I want to turn my attention now is Will Muschamp, I think, going to do a great job there. But a lot of it has been said about the secondary, that it was the secondary that yielded a lot of points and yielded a lot of yards. And from when I broke this team down overall, Corey, to me it was the opposite. A glaring statistic that jumped out to me was the defensive front wore down in their losses. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The team overall had 21 sacks as a a, a unit last year, which ranked 95th in the nation. So they clearly didn't get quarterback pressures last year. They're going to have to change that, and I think Will Muschamp's philosophy will. But you look at what they did from a defensive perspective. They allowed 168 rushing yards per game. But in their five losses, Corey, glaring, they gave up over 220 rushing yards per game. Excuse me, 263 rushing yards per game. That's incredible when you think about it in their losses. To give up almost 100 yards more per game in your losses really, to me, signifies a a breakdown from the defensive front. 
and I'll go through it right now. They gave up 223 to Mississippi State, 176 to Texas A&M, 289 to Georgia, 227 to Alabama, and 400 to Wisconsin. You cannot do that in the SEC and expect to have a top five defense. I don't care who you have there. You wear down defensively like that, it's not an easy fix. Give me your thoughts because I'm curious to see your perspective. <laughs> I think you're right. I think as far as that plug and play mentality versus the the instant production or, or or you know coaching a guy up, I think some of the fans are just kind of spoiled when you really look at when you look at situations like Manziel and Marshall. Those guys kind of came out of nowhere, so fans are kind of spoiled and they feel like each team should have an opportunity because uh, they all recruit very well. So it, from year to year, you never you never know who it's going to be. So because they have, quote, unquote, seen it before, you just hope it's your team this year. So the expectation is high. But when you look at that Auburn defense, Joe, giving up those yards, when you give up that kind of yards on the ground uh, to anybody, you know, you're really killing yourself. And I feel like run defense is primarily effort. You know, that's really going to be something that your coaching can definitely impact because, again, the talent is there. So we're not going to question the guys we got on the field. But if you're not being productive, son, you've got to be replaced because it can be done, and we, we're going to coach you and make sure you do it this way, and this is how it's going to get done. You know, it's going to be a very direct approach the way Will Muschamp is going to put his imprint on it, and that front seven is going to have to. It's going to be a major impact on how the season goes because, again, you have to have a strong defense to help that, that new young signal caller you have at quarterback. So in order to keep – Auburn in position to win ball games. Will Muschamp has to understand that that defense might be on the field a lot, but they have to be the strongest defense of the day because they don't have that offense that they can expect explosive plays from just yet because they're not developed over there. Bringing a guy like Muschamp is takes a lot of it takes a lot of pressure off of Malzahn because you look at that defense as basically having their own head coach now. There should be no delay in how we see this these changes impacted. He understands what he's walking into. It's a familiar environment. So he's really walked into a beehive, which is pretty much his character. You know, I know Will Muschamp from my playing days at Georgia. This is nothing he's afraid of. So he, I feel like he's ready for this pressure. And the only reason he walked into it is because he knew Auburn didn't have a cupboard that was there. So I think they're just going to have to step up. This is really going to be a situation where the coaching has to have an impact on how these players play on the field because that's the only way to stop a running game is with effort. And and, and you have to have the right tactician, and Will Muschamp is that. So, you know, I don't have that, you know, delay in Auburn. I think I'm going to have the same high expectation for the Tigers uh, that I would have any any other year. And I feel like, you know, they expect the same, Jeff. A lot of uh, experts have been calling for this team to be a playoff contender, top five. I I have to be honest, I don't see it at this point. Uh, I'll wait. I'll hold off to the first week or two of the season. I want to see how that defense responds. Now, they're going to be playing a team in Louisville that is decimated due to uh, graduation and and losing players to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, not as tough defensively Louisville entering the 2015 campaign as they were in 2014 where Charlie Strong left 
Bobby Petrino and Todd Graham, the former Georgia defensive coordinator, left them stacked defensively, and they had statistically one of the top defenses in the country. So uh, not the case entering 2015. This is a Cardinals team that had nine victories on their on their resume. The combined record of those opponents, Corey, though, was sub-500, 47 and 65 overall. <laughs> you look at the Louisville four losses in 2014, they struggled with better teams. They lost to four games to teams with a combined record of 38 and 14 overall. So they struggled when they stepped up in competition. Their offense could not get it done in their losses. They only averaged 20.7 points per game in their in those losses. During the regular season, this is a team that averaged 35.7 points per game. So when the offense wasn't clicking, when they went up against better defenses, this team could not get it done. So that's going to be a key statistic entering week one of the season. But you look at Bobby Petrino overall as head coach, made the jump from Arkansas to Western Kentucky back to Louisville where he brought that program to prominence. He'll have his team ready, but this is a team that's sort of uh, young and raw at this point. Any quick thoughts about Louisville overall as they move on into the 2015 season? Oh, definitely, Joe. You know, I'm always tracking what's going on with Louisville. I've always had a – I've always liked the program. I've always liked the uniforms. And when they got Coach Petrino, not a big fan of him. But I, I keep an eye on them because they do continue to put out good athletes, especially some of the guys in the NFL right now. But when I look at Louisville, I, I look at a team that really has stage fight, Joe. You know, and it's unfortunate because they have some talent. But whenever the stage is too big, the lights are too bright, you know, they they never show up on the big-time stage. And that's one thing that has, has happened to them, you know, as far back as I can remember for the last decade. They, they've always been right on the cusp. And they really got to take that next step as a program. So Bobby Petrino is the one that I feel like is probably, uh, I feel like he should be under some pressure to to get this team to that top-tier bowl game and to win it. You know, he needs to be in a position to win conference title and get Louisville back on the map as a threat, you know, because right now, you know, they are that team that every time they get to that big stage, their defense lets them down. Uh, I don't know what the reason might be, but, you know, they run some, some, but they've got talent. That's the odd thing about it, Joe. I know that they've continued to put players in the league, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to get over the top. So as a program overall, I just feel like they've got some stage fright. They've got to find a player that's going to help take them to that next level. They've got guys that have been there in the past, but for whatever reason, you know, it hasn't panned out on the field as far as W's are concerned. So really looking forward to seeing what they can do uh, against a, an opponent like Auburn, someone who's going to come in and hit them in the mouth. You know, it's going to be a great opportunity for Louisville to represent and really establish themselves going into the season. This can be a game that will platform them to that national discussion. This can be a game that can have them in the forefront of, of, of those title races. So, you know, I feel like this is a great opportunity for Louisville. But from their track record, Joe, this is the game that they usually lose. You know, they'll turn around and they'll beat up on, you know, mother and sisters of the poor, but, you know, when the games count, when when the lights are bright, this is when their opportunity is, and I need to see if they're going to take advantage of it. Case in point, Thursday night, middle of the season, they have uh, top-ranked Florida State and Jameis Winston on the ropes holding a 21-7 to lead at halftime and lose that game. So that's a great point. And I'll tell you this, a lot of that success last year, 
from Louisville was due to the fact of Charlie Strong stocking that program. I don't uh, – people can argue that, but Charlie Strong left that coaching staff with great talent where there wasn't a big drop-off. So uh, a good coach like Bobby Petrino comes in. Now, I said good coach. I don't think Bobby Petrino's a great coach. So that's where I think that you saw the, the production sewer stay steady. I think if Charlie Strong was there last year, I think this team would have broke through for that major victory, case in point, when they knocked off Florida in the Sugar Bowl. So uh, I, I'm right in agreement with you, Corey. Uh, we're we're going to have to see – what this team does in 2015. And another big point that I want to bring up, year number two of Todd Grandham's defensive system. Again, Charlie Strong was a defensive-minded head coach. He built that program accordingly, and those guys were stacked. Todd Grandham really didn't have to do a whole lot with that defense. Now it's year number two, new players, and we saw what he did in Georgia. What I mean by that is we knew that he really ran a defense where the players didn't really react. They had to think a lot, and that was the problem with the Georgia defense in 2013. Case in point, look at what Jeremy Pruitt did. He simplified it, made it more attacking, and the players responded. So that's a key point that you're going to have to keep in mind for Louisville overall. Todd Random's defensive philosophy, year number two in Louisville. How are the players going to respond? That's what I want to see. Wow. Yo, I just thought about how ironic this is that Todd Grantham in Louisville is playing Auburn. So we'll have Trey Matthews over there with Will Muschamp, and we'll also have Josh Harvey Clemens over there with Louisville. And I also know we've got another cornerback. I can't get his name right now. But the other kid, they transfer. All of our transfers are going to be in this one matchup. Isn't that ironic? I'm interested to see how these guys perform. This is a stage for them all to step up. You're exactly right. Uh, Grantham does have an opportunity to really, you know, they've had a chance to recruit for a year. They've got some young kids that are going to have to step up, and we need to see what they bring to the table. So I'm interested to see how this impacts, you know, that Louisville offense because I think that defense is going to be on the field a little bit more than they anticipate. And Grant is going to have to take some chances in order to attack this Gus Malzahn-oriented offense. Before we move on, I will say that Louisville does have TC, former TCU defensive end, Big 12 freshman of the year, Devontae Fields, oh, yeah. who transferred from Gary Patterson's program. He sat out last year. He does go to Louisville, sat out a year in football. So that'll be an added uh, addition to that defensive front, but still decimated on the defensive side of the ball at the linebacker position on the defensive front. One player's not going to make or break that defense, and it is year number two in Todd Grandham's system. So keep that in mind. We'll delve into that deeper as this season progresses and as the offense season progresses, but I want to turn our attention now to another marquee matchup, Arizona State and Texas A&M. A solid, solid matchup. You look at the Pac-12 taking on the SEC, uh, sort of the darlings last year, Arizona State and Todd Graham breaking through. They had a, a dominating Sun Bowl performance over Duke where uh, they jumped out to an early lead and held on uh, David Cutcliffe and the Duke Blue Devils, but a successful season to say the least. They're going to take on Texas A&M and Kevin Sumlin and Kyle Allen at the quarterback position. Quick thoughts overall about this matchup. 
Well, I think it's a matchup that really is going to be intriguing. Texas A&M is under their own little bit of pressure because they're representing the Southeastern Conference. So this is going to be an exciting matchup, and Kyle Allen really gets a chance to show his wear and let everyone know that he's the, the, the permanent signal caller at A&M. So he'll want to establish himself. But Arizona State had a lot of success last year. They had uh, they played a lot of good ball, and, and, and for them to finish the, the year beating a David Cutcliffe-led Duke unit, you know, they, they're really – primed and, and to see if they can take that next step and have some, some carry over from last season's success, even though they've lost a few players here and there, primarily at quarterback. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for both teams to really step up and identify themselves as we go into the season. So it's a good matchup, two great universities, two strong teams that have a lot to prove, especially within their own individual conferences. So this would be a great uh, time for each one to identify themselves and let everyone know what they're going to bring to the table. And some of these players, including, again, you know, the quarterback at A&M, Kyle Allen, they're going to have to really establish themselves because I'm sure there are going to be uh, some pressures and some competitions that we're all going to watch extremely closely. Interesting matchup. You said Arizona State played good ball, Corey. They beat four of six top 25 teams in 2014. They went on a run last year during a five-game winning streak where they knocked off USC, Stanford, Washington, Utah, and Notre Dame. Those combined records of those opponents were 636 winning percentage, 42 and 24. So this was a team that stepped up as the competition got better, and that's a big thing for me. Uh, The mark of a good team is – are they beating up on mediocre opponents, or are they stepping up in big ball games? And Arizona State did that. They had a five-game winning streak against winning competition, and they in those matchups, they averaged 407 total yards of offense. This is a quarterback in Mike Berkovici that filled in for Taylor Kelly last year and played very well. So he's acclimated in the system. He understands what Todd Graham and that offensive staff wants. So, uh, And he's a gamer. This is a kid that... He came in against USC and fought from start to finish in that game. Brought that team back, I believe, from an 18-point deficit. Did have the Hail Mary at the end. But he he understands, you know, the philosophy, and he's not afraid to really swing it around. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. Footballs will be flying through the air in this one. Make no mistake about it. There's going to be offensive production by both teams. Arizona State was 5-2 and two on the road. That's another key statistic. They can win on the road or on a neutral field site, and they play well in good competition. So this is going to be a very interesting matchup for Texas A&M from a defensive perspective. Can they slow down this offensive attack? We'll have to see. But talk to me about the Pac-12 Conference, your quick thoughts. Do you feel they, they have a leg up on the SEC based off of last year? Uh, definitely not. I do feel like the Pac-12 is a very competitive league. I can compare them uh, head-to-toe to the SEC, and I don't feel like it's a, a very far-fetched comparison. I do feel like they bring some strength to the table, but, you know, top to bottom, maybe not there just yet. Uh, I, I feel like the SEC is still a, a much stronger representation. The Pac-12, they, they usually have at least five pretty good teams, though, so you can't discount what they bring to the table. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing those head-to-head matchups happen a little more often, but each uh, team has their own scheduling to do. So, you know, I like the fact that we get these opportunities to see the teams match up on the field so that we can actually bring it to a head. You know, sometimes all we do is talk, 
but I would much rather see this play, this you know play out it does on a Saturday afternoon. So you know this is a great chance for both universities to not just represent themselves, but they'll be representing the conferences. And uh, as an SEC guy, I'm going to want to see how Texas A&M is going to respond when they face a tough team like Arizona State, who just as you said, Joe, they didn't have success against Northeast State. Uh, you know, or any other small school. They had success against some top schools in the country. So, you know, they're not afraid of the limelight. They're not afraid of that big stage, which is one thing we discussed with Louisville. You know, Arizona State had success when, you know, the stakes were higher. So they're going to step to the table, and they're going to want to play their best ball. And this is going to be a great chance for Kevin Sumlin and A&M to really represent the Southeastern Conference, which I know that they enjoy doing as relatively new members. You know, they've taken this, uh, this banner, and, they, and, and they've run with it. So, you know, we feel good about A&M as far as the team in the conference, and we feel good about the chances that they, they have going against a team like uh, Arizona State. So it should be a great matchup of two teams, two conferences, uh, strong leagues that are going to want to see a great game. And, and you're right, the ball is going to be thrown a little bit of everywhere across the field. Great point, buddy. And the one thing that Arizona State did do well is they created turnovers. They were plus twelve, uh, plus fourteen in turnover margin in 2014. A key statistic when you look at programs being able to win on the road, you need to be able to run the football and you need to be able to create turnovers. That's the mo for success, especially when you're playing good teams on the road. Can you create turnovers? And that's something that Arizona State did very, very well in. 2014, so we'll see uh, how it plays out week number one, but we'll turn our attention to Kevin Sumlin and this Texas A&M team, and uh, a lot has been said about defensive uh, adjustments needing to be uh, taken. They get an added dimension. They get an added bonus this year because they get LSU defensive coordinator John Chavis, who is one of the best defensive coordinators in football, making a lateral move from LSU to Texas A&M to shore up that defense. Let me tell you this, Corey. John Chavis, one of the best game planners in college football. LSU, year in and year out, one of the best defenses in college football. The one thing that LSU does is they bring a physicality to their game, something that obviously we've seen in Texas A&M, that is not the case, and that's not a knock on Texas A&M, but they're more of a finesse type of defense, not like LSU where they wrap up their solid and run support. This is a defense that's going to have an added bonus by having John Chavis and his play-calling ability come to College Station. Might take a few weeks to get acclimated, but make no mistake about it, John Chavis will be game planning all summer long for this high octane attack in Arizona State. You're exactly right. I mean, this was one of the biggest wild moves of the offseason, Joe. You know, you mentioned it already, but to have a guy like John Chavis come over from, from LSU and take the same reign at Texas A&M, you know, that raised a lot of eyebrows. You know, me, myself, you know, I was very much uh, wondering why would he do that? Is there some friction between him and Les Miles? Did he have an expectation on a position or a salary situation? Because basically this had to either come down to money or, you know, succession. And, and I don't understand why he would go uh, in that lateral move unless there was something personal behind it. So each man has his own aspirations. For him to go over to Texas A&M, he's not just going to bring over 
some of the best coaching in the country, which he undoubtedly does, which is exactly what you mentioned. But, you know, he's going to be a top-tier recruiter. You know, he can not necessarily recruit against LSU. He can compete with anyone in the country when he walks into a living room. So, you know, he brings a certain level of panache when he when he, when he wears that, that, that badge. Now that the Sun State Texas A&M and he'll walk into these kids' houses in the, in the state of Texas, and that's going to really give them a much stronger base in recruiting. So I don't know if we'll see the impact this season. I don't put the pressure on Chavis that I put on Muschamp because Chavis has always been a D.C. and a great recruiter. But I do feel like uh, it's going to definitely impact uh, A&M primarily in the players he can get to come there. So, you know, he'll have some players from Louisiana that are going to want to follow him because the track record of success at LSU is, is tied directly to John Chavis, just as you mentioned. He is the coach that has put all of these DBs in the league on Sunday. So, you know, you got to take that into account as a kid wanting to play football on the top level. Uh, A&M is a great university with a great fan base and a a great tradition. So he's not going to have trouble uh, picking the kids he wants to play for. And so this is going to be a great great get for Texas A&M. I think it's really going to show up in the recruiting side. And then on the field when he gets a chance to coach his players, Joe, it's going to be deadly. So I want to see how it impacts his first game. You're right. His his primary focus right now is Arizona State. But at the same time, they also understand that the conference is going to be most important. So he, he's got a lot on his plate, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with, with uh, that Texas A&M Aggie unit. He has possibly one of the most dynamic players in college football, Miles Garrett, defensive end that – uh, is, is just a great, great force coming off the edge. So we'll see how he utilizes him. But you look at Texas A&M overall from a defensive perspective, they finished with 36 team sacks, which was 22nd best in the nation. So uh, expect that number to increase as well because John Chavis likes to utilize blitz packages and get pressure on the quarterback. So I expect that to to be an increased number. How he does it, whether he brings linebackers or safeties, is going to depend on the type of talent that he has there. He'll have to evaluate it, but make no mistake about it, Texas A&M will have a better defense in years to come than we've seen. When you look at this team overall, though, Corey, and there are three losses to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Alabama during the middle of the season – A glaring statistic jumped out to me is that the Aggies were outscored by a margin of 142 to 51, and they committed seven turnovers. So, again, the turnover bug bites teams that really, when they step up in competition, if you're creating, if you're committing turnovers and you're not scoring points, recipe for disaster. So it's the offense that really failed this team. Uh, Another key statistic for me in their late season drop. When you look at their, their last four games of the regular season in November, they averaged 26.5 points per game. They averaged, from a, a yardage perspective, only 316 yards per game. That was 130 yards less than their season average of 454 throughout the regular season. And more importantly, to go even deeper, the Aggies were outscored 61-30 to 30 in the second half of those last four games of the season. So it wasn't really the defense that wore out at the end of the year. It was the offense. And that's what's shocking to me when I look at this team overall, because 
We know the defensive flaws, that they were erratic and that they were up and down. But at the end of the year, when they really couldn't put it together, it was the offense that failed them and not the defense. So to me, that's what stands out. Any thoughts about that? Well, it's always odd whenever you see an offense under Kevin Sumlin struggle because that's not his, you know, that is his forte, I'll say. So, you know, to see Texas A&M have those struggles, especially in a turnover situation, you know, that was unlike an offense that he coaches. So being efficient on that side of the ball, as we've already discussed, is always going to be a a primary focus. Uh, Anytime you turn the ball over more than once, you've really basically lost the game unless you come up with something dynamic on special teams, you've almost uh, always lost that ball game with two turnovers. So you cannot turn the ball over, especially in conference play, and it's always going to have a huge impact on the outcome of the game. Kevin Sumlin understands that, you know, being an offensive guy himself, he understands the importance of maintaining possession and and converting on third down and keeping the ball. You know, you'd rather punt it than, than throw it away. So, uh, I think that's going to be a primary focus. Is it, I think every team really has to take a look at their turnover ratio, you know, going into the year, and you want to improve on it. So it's always going to be something that's addressed, and this shouldn't be any different. So, you know, this first game, you know, I, there's always going to be that impact where, where, or that, that point where everyone's going to want to run the ball to try to establish the run game. But, you know, when it gets late, when it gets into the second half, they're going to have to let that thing fly around a little bit and we'll see who takes care of it better than the other guy because that usually leads to victory, you know, especially in these first early games in the season. Turnover battle is going to be key. Great point, buddy. And when you look at offensive guys that are going to be counted on to step up, I think of three guys, Kyle Allen, his development in Kevin Sumlin's system, Trey Carson, the running back, and then Speedy Knoll, a freshman wide receiver that really burst onto the scene last year and really turned it on at the end of the year. He's going to be counted on to really take the top off of defenses. He's caught 46 balls last year for 583 yards and five touchdowns. He's going to be counted on to really be uh, an intricate part of that offense. They they have Josh Reynolds coming back as well, so uh, a really uh, experienced wide receiver core. So this should be a better offensive team than what they were in 2014. And if you can believe that, it's unbelievable. Uh, this is a, an explosive team. So we'll see if they can put it together on both sides of the ball because if they can, they can possibly be an SEC West sleeper uh, coming out of there. Uh, not a lot of teams talking about it at the, at the prior to September, but we hear like teams like Alabama, uh, LSU, we hear Auburn. Not hearing a lot of Texas A&M talk. If they could put it together early, this could be a dynamic team. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. This is why, Corey, we love college football so much. We're, we're breaking it down early. And, and again, this is our initial analysis. We're, we're going to delve deeper into these matchups as the offseason inches on and moves closer to September, but should be very interesting to say the least. Any final thoughts you want to give uh, the fans out there before we uh, touch off? Well, the main thing I, I, I'm interested in, Joe, is, the, is what you just ended with. You know, the fact that A&M and some of these teams have an opportunity to win is really based on 
the quarterback position. I want to see some great quarterback play this year in the conference. We've got a lot of open competition going into the season, a lot of question marks for a lot of these schools. So that really leaves a lot up for grabs. And the one thing that a team like A&M or Mississippi State has in tow is an incumbent at starter. So it's going to be interesting to see how the conference shakes out. I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, the opportunities to watch some good games on these upcoming Saturdays in the fall. So a great time of year, Joe. I'm excited, and I just don't want to waste any more time. I can't wait to get the kickoff. And uh, you and I will have a chance to talk about each game as we get a lot closer and break them down. And, and at the same time, we will go back to some predictions too because I love to have that battle with you to make sure I stay on top this year in this prediction race. <laughs> Uh, buddy, I love talking college football with you. It's it's great. It's what makes this game so special. We're going to have a, 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 another uh, in-depth analysis of the other games in the SEC. Next week, we'll break down Wisconsin and Alabama. We'll talk about North Carolina and South Carolina uh, just the way we did today, not delving into position battles, but strictly off the strengths and weaknesses of last year's performances. And we're going to really get into it in the month of August. So we have a great show planned for you throughout this summer. Stay with us for Corey Allen. I'm Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend, everyone. Go dogs.